The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Thanks, Eli. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Ben Langford. I used to preach here at one time. I know. Uh, It's been a season of travel for me and my family, and we're happy to to, to be done with that a little bit. Um, I know it's, a, it's coming up to another season of travel, but not for us. So we're happy to be here uh, again with you at Advent. For those of you visiting, I, I am regularly here. I'm just, it's, it's a joke about me being gone. So just in case you were wondering. The other reason I want to reintroduce myself is the same, is so many people have come up and said, Ben, I didn't recognize you. And uh, Roger Dreyer said the same thing. He's like, I almost didn't recognize you. And then he, then he says, but I like it. You look very distinguished. To which I hit Kim. I was like, hey, Kim. Kim is my wife. I said, Kim, did you hear? Roger thinks I look distinguished with this beard. And she looks at me like this. And then she looks at Roger and goes, so the beard probably won't stay. You get more reaction out of the beard than the sermon. Like, amen. amen. All right. You're only making the sermon longer, guys, with your comments. Uh, Repentance actually has action with it, Rod. So, I brought this bench today. It's not much to look at, but some of you can see it. It sits in my backyard, and it's very special to me because every time... I see this bench, Uh, I think of my dear friends in Uganda, Charles Buyenza and John Patrick Bagoli. When I left Uganda, I I, uh, asked Charles if I could have this bench. This bench sat in Charles' sitting hut. So in his... uh, In a typical Ugandan village, you have several different huts or houses on a compound. One is the house that they would sleep in. The other is a cooking hut. And then oftentimes, they'll have a sitting hut where they could receive visitors. And I loved going to that sitting hut. It was open air. In other words, it had walls up to about here with a thatched roof. And and then there was air that could pass through. I remember often sitting there and uh, waiting on meals that Charles and his wife would serve, having kids from the village come in and peek their head and play little games of peekaboo, and it was just fun scaring them. I was a scary figure, evidently. But John Patrick, who is a neighbor to Charles, and Charles, they would sit with me in that mud hut they love me. And they love me well. John Patrick, I spent so much time with him. He encouraged me 
we planted churches together, we taught together. He taught me so many things about life and what it meant to be Jesus in that culture. He was patient and kind. He never got frustrated with me. And Charles, I would go and sit in that mud hut on this bench and talk for hours and practice my Lusoga, which is the language that I, that I learned. And he was so patient with me. In fact, he was one of the, my favorite people to go out and practice when I was learning. And even to this day, one of the people that I would go and speak Lusoga with, it was just so easy to go and talk with him. He was so kind and generous and patient with me. And after I really learned Lusoga, partly because of his patience with me, uh, I discovered about three years into my time and my friendship with, John, with, uh, with Charles, Charles was fluent in English. And I said, Charles, I didn't know you were fluent in English. I spent all this time struggling in Lusoga, and he never switched to English. Even when it had to be a nightmare for him trying to understand what I was trying to communicate. I literally didn't know he could speak English. He was that patient and that kind with me. He fed me really good meals. I learned what it meant to be hospitable from Charles because as I was sitting at his, in his greeting hut, many neighbors would come. And I learned what it meant to love your neighbor. He would spend a lot of time listening to people. And he would help them any way that he could. Charles and John Patrick rarely asked me for anything, but they partnered with me because they took great joy in the work that God had given them. And I saw something different in them, and it made me want to keep going back and sit on that bench. When I was with them, when I was with them sitting on this bench, it gave me the feeling of what it might have been like when Jesus showed up in the world and sat with people in the village and loved them. Whenever I see this bench, I'm reminded of Charles and John Patrick, and it brings me joy because I'm reminded of their participation in the gospel and their love for me. And I always anticipate when I go back to Uganda, going to the village of Wankonge because of John Patrick and Charles. When I read the opening lines to Philippians that Eli read for us, I think about, I'm reminded of this bench. I'm reminded of the memories that it brings from Charles and John Patrick. Because Paul says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion to the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, 
all of you, you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for you with all the affections of Jesus Christ. Paul thinks about the Philippians and it leads him into a prayer of thanksgiving. And this prayer of thanksgiving is filled with joy because three things. He says, you have partnered with me in the gospel. And I have great joy and give thanks to God because God will continue to, to do the good work that he began in you, and he'll bring it to maturity to the day of Christ. And I give thanks with great joy because you share with me all the good gifts and the grace that God has given us. It's interesting, maybe even a side note, that Paul begins with, I always give thanks for you, which in Greek is the word Eucharisto. I don't know, we use this term sometimes when we come to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the thanksgiving. And then he ends later on, it says, and you share in this grace with me, which this idea about grace is the charis. And what's interesting is that these two words, the thanksgiving and the gift, both share the same word in Greek. Eucharist, Eucharisto, and charis. It's no coincidence that giving and receiving share the same word because giving and receiving revolve around the gift. That's what we share in common. And so we give thanks because of his grace that we share together. And this is what we share. This morning, this is what Paul says we share. He says we share in the gift that we have partnered together in the gospel. That we partner together in something that is bigger than you and I. You and I aren't here because of anything we've done. We gather here to give thanks and share in the grace because of the gift. And this is what we also, the gift we share is that we are both participants in something, in the good work that God has already begun to do in our lives, and this is not a making of our own. The good work that God is doing in your, your life and my life that we share together is not of your own doing. This is a gift from God. And we share in the gift, the gift of grace, which we didn't give. We share, both you and I, in receiving the same gift. God is the one doing this work. He is the one that has given us the gospel that we may partner. He is the one that has begun a good work in you and I that we didn't do ourselves. And he is the one that allows us to share in all his good.
so I was reading this, I was thinking, well, Paul goes on and on about this. What is this partnership that we share? What is this good work that will be brought into completion? What is this grace that we share together? And then in verse 9, he goes on to say this. Paul says, Now, this is my prayer. He begins by giving thanks and saying, I pray for you, and here's what his prayer is. Right? I, every time I pray with great joy, and I remember you in prayer, and he says, this is what I pray for. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Here's what you participate in. You and I participate in the gospel of love. That good work that God has begun doing in each of you, it's the work of love. And he's going to keep doing that, keep working on you until he brings it to maturity, until the day of Christ. And that grace that you and I share, that we share with that Philippian church, that grace, that gift is the gift of love. And so Paul says, this is the prayer today for you. That that gospel that you partner in, that that good work that God is doing in you, that that gift that you share, the gift of love, will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That's God's gift to you and I. But here's what Paul also says. That your love may abound more and more and in knowledge and depth of insight. This is God's gift to you, but he intends for you to exercise this gift. Now I want you to notice something. That there is knowledge and insight that Paul talks about in this text. And usually, the way we think about how action and knowledge works is that we know something first in order to do it. Think about education. You guys are well-schooled in this. In fact, a little bit we're doing it right now, right? This is how we educate children. We think if we can get them to think right about something, they'll do it right. And every parent goes, yeah, that don't work. <laughs> I've tried to get my kids to think right about cleaning their room. It doesn't work. Yep, nope. <laughs> now they're paying attention. But I want you to notice how the language of Paul works. It begins with the practice of love. In order that you might have insight and knowledge. You see the difference? It's not that he says, gain insight and knowledge so that you can love. He goes, no, love. Then you'll know. He wants you to have knowledge, but he says, this is how you do it. You go and you love first. Have you ever been like me? 
that you study the scripture and you gain some knowledge and you gain some, and then after a while you, you kind of hit kind of a, a dull spot in the study, right? We're like, man, I don't know if I've read this, I know what this says, I don't have any, ins-, you know, and you just kind of, because you want to be faithful, you keep trying to read and to gain insight, but it just becomes kind of dull and you kind of get in a rut. Have you ever felt that way? If we're honest, we can confess, yes. And the preacher is saying, yes, I have felt that way. I'm not saying it's Scripture's fault, but I'm saying I've felt that way. Here's what Paul says. If you get to the point that you want knowledge and insight, go and practice loving. And then after, whether you know how to do that or not, go try, go practice. And then after you practice, then come back and read Scripture in light of that practice, and see what insights you gain. I have a good friend, Sarah Barton. I may have told this story before. She was a teammate of mine in Uganda, and she decided to go out and do women's Bible studies out in the village And they were studying uh, women of faith. And so as they were studying, at some point she comes to a point where she asked, where she asked the women in the group, it's like, well, who's a hero of yours of faith? And to her surprise, one of the, the women in the, from the, for the village that she was teaching in, she raises her hand and says, yes, what, who is a, who's a hero of yours of faith? And she responds, Bathsheba. And Sarah said, in her head, she said, what? Bathsheba? She's one of the bad girls of the Bible. I mean, she caused David to fall. I mean, this is, this is, I have totally failed. I have totally, totally failed in teaching them anything. But instead of saying that, she says, I was a good missionary, and I just listened right which is a which is one practice of love and she says why is that why bathsheba and the woman said cuz bathsheba didn't get to choose the man she was with she didn't get to choose if her husband had more than one wife yet she was faithful and I live in a world where I don't get to choose. Men always get to choose. And I don't get to choose whether I'm one of three wives or one of four wives. But Bathsheba teaches me how to be faithful even when I don't get to choose. And Sarah went, oh. I've read that story my whole life. Do you see how by just listening a little bit and practicing a little love, she was able to gain some insight? Thomas Aquinas, who is a father to us in faith, the church, he says this, 
He says the reason, the reason that it moves this way from habit to knowledge is that when a person has a habit, if that habit is right, then right judgment of things pertaining to that habit follows. What he's saying there is if you have a good habit, that habit produces in you the ability to discern things that you wouldn't able to discern had you not had that habit. To know things, to understand things, to make right judgments about things. It's not just knowing that produces the habit. He says the right habit actually is what makes, helps you to know things. So another story, since we're talking about Uganda and Charles Bienza and Sarah Barton, my other teammate, Darren Smith, who's actually visited here several times at the Springs and now preaches in Missouri, but he was a missionary too, and he was an incredible linguist. I mean, Ugandans would say, and they don't say this, trust me, they never said this about me, but they would say, if you had your eyes closed for a prayer, and Darren Smith was praying, you wouldn't know that an American, a white American, was praying in Lusoga until you opened your eyes. That's how good he was. And we used to always talk about, man, he's such a gifted linguist. He's really, really gifted. And so one day, my other teammate, Mark Moore, made this observation. He goes, yeah, I think he is gifted, but what I find what I found out is the people that are most gifted are often the ones that work hardest at it. And it's true. Darren worked harder than anybody else I knew. He had a habit, and that habit helped him understand something. Do you see what Thomas Aquinas is saying? Do you see what Paul is saying? that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Aquinas finishes by saying this. And by the way, this is from his commentary where he's reflecting on this text. He says, now all things that are done by us Christians must be informed by the habit of love. What a profound statement. Now, all things that are done by us as Christians must be informed by the habit of love. Therefore, a person with love has the correct judgment, both in what they know and in what they do. My grandfather... I remember him for many things. But here's two things I remember my grandfather for. As regard to my faith. After I was baptized at the Quell Springs Church of Christ, my grandfather lived down in Medill, Oklahoma. And I remember it was probably, oh, a few weeks after I'd been baptized. So I wasn't thinking about it much more when I saw him. But I remember I walked into his house and nothing was said 
but he stood up and he came and he just grabbed me and hugged me and said he loved me. And at first I thought, whoa. And then I realized, oh, this is the first time he's seen me since I've been baptized. But the other thing that I remember about my grandfather is that he always prayed this way. He said, God, help us to do good to all people at all times. We must practice love in order to know. And we must do more than just think about our actions in this way. So if we practice in order to know things about what is right and good about God and Scripture, we also practice in order to know how to love better. Think about it this way. We usually say this, that love or that we shouldn't, we make decisions says, let's don't be harmful, right? I don't think it's enough, Paul says, to think, no, just as long as it's not harmful. Our real question should be, is it best what is good? Is my action, not only does it not harm someone, but does it bring good in their life? Do you see the difference? Do you see how it goes from one step to the next? Not just saying, well, this is not going to harm anybody. Will it do any good for anybody? That's the real question. And everybody knows if you're married that love takes practice. It takes practice. For me to love Kim, I go out and I try to love her and serve her, and I figure out, ah, oh, I, could, I could have done it this way. Have you ever had that happen? Where you go and you try to serve your spouse or someone, and by practicing it, you learn next time how to love that person better? Is that not our experience? And the hope is, as you get older and you love more and you practice more, that you can actually love better. This is what Paul is talking about, so that we may discern what is best for people. Eric King, a good friend of mine who's a lawyer, he said one time, he goes, Ben, this is why we say that, that lawyers practice law. They don't do the law, they just practice it. Because they keep practicing it in order to understand it better and then also to perform the law better. That's what that means. We don't say, I go do the law. He says, we go and practice. Doctors do the same thing. They go and practice medicine. So here's the goal for you and me. Loving one another and loving our neighbor, it takes practice. It is a habit that Paul says will abound more and more because this is God's gift to us, that we participate in and that he is working in us until Advent, the Advent of his coming. He wants us to abound more and more in love because when Christ comes, this is how the world will be. The way Charles and John Patrick loved me brought me great joy. I love sitting on that bench because it reminds me of the way they loved me, the joy that it brought to my life. 
And it gave me a real sense about what life was like when Jesus showed up in the world. What if we were known more and more by our love? A church that practices love so often that we become better and better at it. I don't intend to say, come on, love right. All I'm saying is, practice love. We're all going to screw it up. Paul says, but practice it. If you want to know insights to scriptures, if you want to know insights in the world, if you want knowledge and wisdom and know what is best, then go out there. And if you don't know how to do it very well, just start. Practice loving Perhaps people will want to come and sit with us on our bench and experience the joy I experienced with Charles and John Patrick. What if the love we gave to those around us brought them a sense of what life is like when Jesus shows up in the world? You have partnered in the gospel of love. You share in God's grace of love. And God is bringing the work of love in your life.